0: We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, teared down this wall.
1: The era of big government is over.
0: President Review, a podcast review of all 45 presidents from Washington to Trump, starting Friday, January 25th on the Nolan Cleary Network on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Politics Weekly, I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. With Martin Luther King Day now having passed, the government shutdown continues. Also Kirsten Gillibrand announces her candidacy for President of the United States this week on Politics Weekly. everyone welcome uh back to politics weekly um what sorry what's your username again uh
1: at progressive dot social dem as in social democracy
0: so we're back with uh at progressive social dem uh now you you uh consider yourself a progressive uh leftist correct
1: in most senses yes
0: Alright, do you want to tell people a little bit about your uh, page, a little bit about what you post, and maybe a little bit about your philosophy, if you don't mind? Sure,
1: sure. I, uh, I live in California, I'm from Berkeley, so I have a very liberal view on things, but mostly what I believe is in responsible economics, without subscribing in any way to the notion that taxation is theft, and that it is... It's best to create a society and an economy that keeps the flow of wealth downward because money naturally flows up. The rich naturally get money. So it is best to create our policy based around uh, helping those who don't currently make a lot of money. In terms of my page, I try to provide policy, uh, current events and information on policy, and I really don't take interest in the Trump-Russia investigation or trivial things like that or misdemeanors of Trump. So I try to avoid posting about those because I don't believe that it is a productive use of our time to see more evidence that Trump colluded with Russia, I think, or more evidence that he is a terrible person. I think we've seen enough of that.
0: All right. Well, with that, why don't we jump right into the news. Okay, so first of all, the Montana governor's race, the next one is not until a year and a half away, uh, but one Republican has already gotten into the field, Montana Secretary of State Corey Stapleton has announced he will indeed run for governor uh, in 2020, um, if he's hoping, now Montana is considered a traditionally Republican state, uh, Donald Trump won it by 22 points, Mitt Romney won it by double digits, um, however, uh, they actually have not had a Democratic governor in, or they have not had a Republican governor in the state since 2004, and Cory Stapleton, the Secretary of State of Montana, is hoping uh, to uh, change that but apparently, um, right now there's a bit of controversy because the Montana Democratic Party is accusing him uh, of ethics violations. The way apparently the way he announced was like an ethics violated ethics laws and election laws, um, and apparently it's the same thing that they accused Matt Rosendale of. Matt Rosendale um, was the uh, nominee. Uh, First yeah, for the Senate against, and he narrowly lost to John Tester uh, this past midterm. Uh, he's, all, he's the state auditor, and now this guy is the st- Secretary of State. Uh, Democrats are hoping that uh, this could help them uh, hold uh, a governorship in a traditionally Republican state. Uh, what are your thoughts on him getting in, and what are your thoughts on the controversy around the way he got in?
1: Well, I think that uh, I think that one what we consider to be traditionally Republican states in terms of presidential elections or traditionally democratic states can elect Republican or democratic governors and senators uh, especially governors, and on a statewide level have the opposite party in control. Uh, I do think that Montana is uh, going is moving a little more will be moving toward the left not not as much as uh other states might be such as arizona or texas but i do think they're seeing a shift toward the left obama narrowly lost it in 2008 i think in 2012 he was a neoliberal candidate and in 2016 hillary clinton's simply not electable and don't think she's a good metric for determining whether democrats are electable in these states now i i have not been i follow a lot of governors races but i haven't followed this race Uh, I don't know if he's guilty or not. I have no idea. I do know that Montana tends to like their incumbents, but since there's no incumbent, this could be an open race. I'd obviously like to see a Democrat win, but I don't have any particular thoughts on the race. Mm. If we were to run a Democrat, I'd like to see a Democrat who at least supports automatic voter registration, marijuana legalization. Uh, voting on paper ballots, and a higher minimum wage.
0: Now, I think the right now there's a rumor that um, either the uh, the lieutenant governor of the state, uh, who is a Democrat, might run uh, for the nomination, and there's also a rumor that Brian Sh- uh, Schweiker, the former governor, uh, may uh, run for his old spot, because Brian Schweiker, he was... Uh, Obviously there are term limits in Montana, but, uh, Brian Schweiker uh, or Brian Schweitzer, he, um, they We're have,
1: he, after one term,
0: yeah, right? No, he didn't die. Well, no, what happened was he got reelected. Um, but because they have uh, a grandfather clause in Montana, you can come back after serving two terms and run again and then run for mm-hmm. a, another term.
1: Um, Yeah, we have that here in California.
0: Right, Jerry Jerry Brown, Brown, yeah. So um, some people believe that Brian Schweitzer might take advantage of that. He was considered a popular governor. Um, He served from 2005 to 2013. Um, He was popular there. And some Democrats uh, are hoping, they have their fingers crossed, that he's going to run And they think if they they get really lucky, they might get Steve Bullock to run for the U.S. Senate against Steve Daines, and that might give them uh, a slim chance of picking up a seat in the Senate. Um, But that's the status of Montana in 2020 as of this point. And some people think Steve Bullock might run for president instead.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I don't... I don't have any particular thoughts on that. Uh, I do know that I think Steve Bullock is a good op- a good option for the Senate. I know that he's not going to last as president past Iowa. They are, he has little to no name recognition and no particular appeal. So I would hope that he explores his options beyond running for president, which really isn't one.
0: All right. Anything else you want to say about this issue or should we move on? Let's move on. All right. So Trump is now claiming he has uh nothing to hide uh in the Russia investigation. Uh, I the uh, the Mueller probe uh is set to come out uh relatively soon. Uh and Trump is now saying he's now claiming he has uh nothing to do in relation with collusion. Uh, I know you're sick of talking about the the Russia investigation, but what are your thoughts on uh, Trump claiming that he has nothing to do with Mueller or the Mueller probe?
1: I mean, he can say whatever, but we know he's a liar. There has been, you know, I could accept a reality, I could believe a reality in which he didn't collude with Russia, but it's clear his campaign did, and saying that he didn't do it isn't going to stop the probe, and it shouldn't. Robert Mueller should do his work, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure Trump colluded with Russia, and if Robert Mueller finds solid evidence that he did, Trump should be in
0: handcuffs. Do you think that when the Mueller probe comes out, if there is, if you're right and there is uh, signs of collusion, do you think uh, that that could lead to Trump either getting impeached or being forced to resign?
1: I think the House will impeach him because it has a Democratic majority. I don't. I think he'll be acquitted in the Senate because they have a Republican majority. Uh, I don't think he'll resign. I think he's too proud to resign.
0: Mm. Do you think that that could lead to him getting arrested or indicted? Or
1: yeah, I, I, I definitely think it could. I think the actual arrest would probably happen after he was out of office.
0: Interesting. All right, anything else you want to add, or should we move on let's move on okay, so Congressman Steve King, Republican uh from Iowa, has been under fire for uh, some controversial comments he 's made. Let me see if I can uh pull them up um, he uh Many people are saying that he they're, they're accusing him of racist uh now they're um Let's see. Um, let me see if I can pull up the the official quotes. Um, um, um. Here's what he said. He um he asked in an interview. He said, "White nationalist, white supremacist, white uh, civilization. How did that language uh, become offensive?" Um, uh, and, uh, after this, uh, a number of different, uh, Republicans condemned him, uh, house minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, uh, condemned him, uh, um, uh, Joni Ernst, Senator Joni Ernst, Republican also from Iowa, condemned him and senator Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, uh, also condemned him um, and obviously he was also condemned by people on the left, but there were also people on the right that were condemning him and this led to him losing his uh, his spot he, he had a spot on one of the committees, and he was uh, kicked off of that committee because of the comments um, he made um, but uh right now um uh there's an attempt to try and there's another candidate I can't remember what his name is. Ben Shapiro was in was talking about him. Uh there's a an attempt by Republicans to try and uh get him primaried out uh in twenty twenty. Um uh nobody knows if that's gonna work or not. Uh during the twenty eighteen election um the Iowa he he made some other controversial comments and the Iowa uh the the head of the Iowa Republican Party actually con- openly condemned him um but he still ended up getting reelected because he was in an overwhelmingly republican district um what are your thoughts on the comments Steve King made um and what do you think his fate or his legacy is in the in the house
1: I think he'll probably end up resigning I You know, I supported JD Shulton who ran against him in twenty eighteen and I think you know, he's not a great human being overall. But I think it speaks to where the party is at and has been for a long time that he has been in office since I think two thousand three. Yes. And he kept getting reelected. Even when he had like like this last election, he had someone who had the chance to beat him, J. D. Shulton, and he fell short. And I I think it speaks to that, that, you know, primary challenges have been a thing for a while. Steve King has been who he is for a while, and nobody had an issue with it until now. I mean, people had an issue with it. No one was putting him under the microscope about it from his party until now. And I, I think that really speaks to where the Republican Party is at, because, He may have been getting more bold recently, and I would absolutely credit that to Trump and the racism and xenophobia and bigotry he stoked up to win his election and that he's carried on through the Republican Party promoting candidates that are like him.
0: Now – do you think there's a chance he could end up getting expelled from Congress? Because in the 90s, there was an an Oregon senator named Bob Packwood. He was a Republican, and he got uh, accused of sexual assault, sexual harassment. Um, and originally, all these leaders in the se- in the Congress um, said, look, look, buddy, you need to resign. Um, and originally, he refused to resign, but then... Uh, They threatened to expel him uh, from Congress, which is possible, um, and he ended up resigning. Do you think that there's a a chance that this could happen here, um, where um, if he doesn't resign, if Steve King refuses to resign, there could be uh, a chance that uh, Republicans and Democrats in Congress could could expel him, or do you think that that's just— Uh, too ambitious of thought and not going to happen.
1: I am aware of the clause that allows a two thirds majority in Congress to expel a member. I do think that it is too far fetched to happen. I think that he's been with the party a long time. He's probably made a lot of relationships. It wouldn't do them much good to expel him because the same, they, they could lose that district You know, they almost lost in 2018, one. Two, it would make national headlines for a few more months, dragging down Trump even more. And three, this will all go away. What he's said will eat up a couple news cycles, and then people will forget about it. He's one congressman. I mean, they forget what Trump says all the time, and he's the president of the United States.
0: Interesting. Anything else you want to say on this issue or should we continue?
1: Let's continue.
0: All right. Uh so uh let's let's uh take a break from American politics and go across the pond for a second to England. So right now there is a big debate over the Brexit deal. Uh Theresa May um introduced a Brexit deal um uh into parliament which failed um, by a large, a significant, margin, uh, more a much bigger margin than most people were expecting. Um, uh, after this, Jeremy Corbyn uh, tried to get a vote of no confidence, uh, but Theresa May did uh, survive the vote of no confidence. Um, they need to get a deal by March. Um, most people believe that that is. Uh, it is uncertain that they are going to get a deal uh by march what are your thoughts on the brexit deal failing in parliament
1: i mean i think i think we could have predicted this i uh i definitely uh think that brexit is a bad thing i know it is too late for a referendum unfortunately as it would take a uh, 12 weeks to do that and as you said they have to get out by i think march 26th or something they have a hard exit from uh the eu uh, I wonder if the EU could extend the deadline, but you know, I I think that you know Theresa May's Brexit deal was the best they were going to get. I would be pleasantly surprised if I saw them negotiate something good, something manageable in the few months that they have left. But I don't see that happening. I think we're living in a you know Brexit is one of the most horrible things that a country did in 2016 along with us electing Donald Trump. This is, you know, uh, an unprecedented thing to do, uh, you know, really going to affect them internationally, affect the world. And, uh, I think that when they pull out of Brexit, I think it'll take a while when they pull out the EU, I, I think eventually they're going to have to go back in. But I think that Theresa May tried her hardest to get a deal that was manageable, but when you have both sides fighting over something, they you know they have opposing ideologies. Something in the center is going to piss both of them off. It's not going to satisfy both of them. It's going to piss both of them off. Uh, you know, I do think I align ideologically more with Jeremy Corbyn, but I think you know in these times we don't need another bold leader, as they. Another bold leader, you know, saying whatever. I think we need a careful, calculated politician like Theresa May. And uh, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to see Brexit reversed, but I just – I don't see it happening. I credit Theresa May for the effort she put into the deal. And I – you know, again, I would be pleasantly surprised if they had a new deal before March when they have a hard exit from the EU without any, without any sort of protection.
0: So, how does this end? Do you think uh, how does this end? Do you think that they're going to get another deal, or, or what do you think's going to happen if they miss the deadline?
1: I think, you know, just speculating, I think that they are going to end up having a hard exit. They will fumble around with what they're doing, and their country will be in crisis for a bit, kind of like we are here, like, for example, with the tariffs that we have, and I think that They're probably going to try to get another international deal similar to the one they get through the EU that is not joining the EU. You know, I don't I don't know exactly what country that would be with quite quite possibly the US if we see Trump ousted in 26 in 2020. But I I think I think that's not going to work out. I think they're going to fumble and have a crisis for five to 10 years and realize that they need to rejoin the EU.
0: Interesting. Anything else you want to add about Brexit, uh, or this news or?
1: No, I've, uh, yeah, I've said all I need to say.
0: Okay, so let's move on to the next topic. So, uh, Attorney General nominee, uh, Bill Barr, um, was testifying in front of the United States Senate, um, he is hoping to replace uh, Jeff Sessions. Donald Trump nominated him to replace Jeff Sessions. Uh, he previously served uh, under uh, Attorney General, uh, or he previously served under President George Herbert Walker Bush as Attorney General. He's hoping for his old job back. What were your thoughts on, uh, on his testimony uh, towards the U.S. Senate?
1: Uh, Well, you know, I was overjoyed when I saw that Jeff Sessions had resigned because I thought there was no one worse than him that could be attorney general. I was wrong. Uh, William Barr, you know, during his time as attorney general, in some ways invented the idea of mass incarceration, the idea of locking up as many black people as they could. He is everything Jeff Sessions is with none of the baggage. He is not... He was not the senator from Alabama. He doesn't have a letter attached to Coretta Scott King uh, from him. He is not, you know, short, not unphotogenic and bluntly and subtly racist. And or he doesn't come across that way, at least. And people aren't as suspicious of him as they should be. I think, you know, the ACLU is freaked out by him. And I think I think rightfully so. He, what we need in terms of criminal justice reform is the decriminalization of all drugs, is the legalization of marijuana, ending mandatory minimums, ending the cash bail system that, you know, perpetuates locking people up and keeping them in jail simply because they are poor. And we need to speed up our criminal justice system because the right. To a speedy trial, the right to a quick trial has kind of been infringed upon. You had people, I think, in Pennsylvania locked up for two years. You had someone, you had a man in Louisiana locked up for eight years. 90% of all criminal cases are now plea deals. They're saying, you know, we locked you up, we didn't give you a trial in time, and now we'll let you out on time served if you just say you're guilty. And that is, that is a broken criminal justice system. And I, oh, I also think that we need to ban private prisons because the idea of a private prison is simply, in my mind, one of the most immoral things, moral policies imaginable. And William Barr supports none of this. I think he, in fact, actively opposes most of it, if not all of it. And, you know, I we can't expect... Uh, Attorney General as the left We can't expect an Attorney General that we will like But You know, maybe not an Attorney General We will hate Uh, You know, Chris Christie uh, Unfortunately was taken out of the running Because he was the prosecutor Who prosecuted Jared Kushner's dad So he has uh, a Jared Kushner has personal beef with him But I think That there are many better options That Trump could have nominated However, it's Trump so, I suppose we can't expect any sort of head- leeway in terms of his governmental nominees.
0: Um, do you think that there's any chance that Democrats can prevent uh, Bill Barr from getting confirmed in the Senate, or do you think that um, it's just a slip in? It's just it's just a shoe in. There, he, he's going to have no trouble getting in whatsoever.
1: You no, know, I'd like to think so, but no no not at all the republicans expanded their majority in 26 in 2018 yeah they susan collins one of the moderate senators voted for kavanaugh joe manchin voted for kavanaugh although i think joe manchin will have less pressure on him now that he's not up for re-election but joe manchin voted for kavanaugh they now have a 53 majority in the senate which means that they can afford to lose three votes, and I just don't see who those votes would be. Furthermore, he is not as controversial as Kavanaugh, and Kavanaugh got confirmed. He was previously the attorney general. I think it is reasonable for a GOP senator to be able to dismiss any criticism of him by simply saying that he he held the job before. He held the job before, so clearly he can hold it again. Now, I, you know, he's awful, and I would l- love to see his nomination get rejected, but I just don't think it will happen.
0: Interesting. Anything else you have to say, or should we move on? Let's move on. All right, so the next story, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Democrat from New York, says she will run for president. Uh, She's officially in. Uh, She has made this announcement. Um, What are your thoughts on Senator Gillibrand getting into the presidential uh, race? Uh, What are her shots uh, of uh, getting the nomination? And if she does get the nomination, what what do you think are her shots of beating Trump?
1: Well, you know, uh, she was only a few weeks into her second term as a congresswoman when she was appointed to Hillary Clinton's seat in New York. I think she is, in every way, a discount Hillary Clinton. Obviously, it's nicer that she's younger. She's more up to date on the issues, meaning that she never held racist views. She never supported, you know, she never opposed gay marriage, to the best of my knowledge, and she never really had... A strong standing to but in many ways she is discount hillary clinton now i do think she could beat trump theoretically uh i think there's many ways he could beat her i think if she has the potential to screw up a lot but she also has the potential to be a successful presidential candidate and probably win i do think there will be a lot of backlash if she wins because again like i said she's discount hillary she's a white blonde woman from new york I I like her recent policy. She's co-sponsored the Medicare for All Act and spoken out strongly in favor of it. She's supported uh, more progressive policies recently, despite her her previous history as more of a blue dog Democrat. I don't see her winning the nomination. That's just not going to happen. I think it's kind of ridiculous that so many candidates are jumping in the race at this point, thinking that anyone can win the nomination, given that there are several very key candidates who – groups are backing. No one's backing Julian Castro. No one's going to end up backing Steve Bullock. The establishment likes Kamala Harris, Beto O'Rourke, or Joe Biden, and we, the modern progressive movement like Bernie Sanders. I don't know why Tulsi Gabbard's running. Uh, I, Jill Gillibrand has a chance to beat Trump, but I don't see her making it past California in the primary. She doesn't have Anything in particular going for her compared to candidates like Kamala Harris, Peter O'Rourke, and Bernie Sanders? So I, I think she'll she'll either drop out of the race when she realizes that the polls are not in her favor, or after the Iowa or New Hampshire caucuses when she simply during the New Hampshire primary when she simply doesn't do that well.
0: What are your thoughts on uh, Richard Ojeda's candidacy?
1: You know Ojeda has Ojeda has a kind of a sketchy record but overall I like him. I don't think that he thinks he's going to be president. I think he's running so because he knows he's tough and loud and people will pay attention to him and he can force the candidates on the stage to talk about more progressive policies. I'd like to see him either run for Senate or governor in West Virginia with uh, or actually or Congress again. We have some really good progressives down in West Virginia. We've got Paula Jean Swearengin, uh environmental activist who tried to primary Joe Manchin in 2016 and only lost because he had more funding than her, or in 2018. And she might run for Senate or Governor in 2020. We've also got a uh, teacher and activist, Stephen Miller, who's announced that he's running for Governor. I think that's his name. Or Stephen Smith, one of the two. Sorry, I'm, I haven't looked at it in a while. And then we have Ojeda, and Uh, I'd like to see Ojeda as a surrogate for the progressive movement running and flipping districts in West Virginia and overall turning it into a blue state. I think he's tough. I don't think he has the qualifications or the demeanor necessary to be president of the United States. And I don't think he does either. I don't think he thinks that.
0: Now, for a while, uh, Joe Brand, going back to Joe Brand, uh, for a while she had an A-plus from the NRA. Do you think that that could hurt her? Uh, in uh, the 2020 primary, you know, other Democratic competitors might say, "Oh, well, back when you were in the House, you had uh, 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 you had an A plus from the NRA." Do you think that could hurt her?
1: I think it could be a one off in a debate, but like I said, I don't think she'll make it past the you know California, which is fifth in line in the primary now. I don't see guns honestly as a huge issue in America, uh, especially to run on. It is a very polarizing issue, meaning that, you know, to support gun control, you know, people. some people support gun control, but the overwhelming uh, soundbite that people will get out of you saying that you support gun control is you are anti-gun or you want to ban guns. And saying you support something like universal background checks, which 97% of Americans support, is not going to excite people enough to get out to the polls. Just because they support a policy doesn't mean it affects them in their personal life so much that they come out to vote for that policy or for a candidate who supports that policy. I definitely think it would be a huge blow to Gillibrand if someone just mentioned that and they ran with it. But I don't think that uh, the candidates up on that stage with her or the people running ads against her will spend a lot of time focusing on the fact that she has a rating from the NRA. They need to win over working-class voters, rural voters, Hispanic voters, and African-American voters, and young voters. They need to get these people out to vote. And overwhelmingly, these people care more about the economic issues of wages and health care and the social issues of uh, drugs, reforming our criminal justice system, and restoring our democracy much more than they care about guns. Now, guns is an issue, but I don't see it as an issue electorally that will be addressed for some time, especially given that we have a conservative majority in the Supreme Court.
0: Uh, And I did look it up. It is Stephen Smith. That is the guy. All right. All right. Um, Anything else uh, you want to say about that issue, or should we move on?
1: Uh, Just that I think Gillibrand is overhyped because she's young. I think she'd be an okay president, but... You have to remember that her record uh, does not reflect her rhetoric recently.
0: All right. So why don't we move on with that? Uh, So Congressman Ruben Gallego, Democrat from Arizona, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, has apparently been courted by Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, to run for McCain's Senate seat in 2020 uh, following McCain's death in the summer of 2018. uh, A special election was scheduled uh, for 2020. Uh, Former Senator John Kyle was appointed that seat initially, but now Martha McSally has been appointed following Kyle's resignation. Uh, McSally is likely to run for the Republican nomination for that to keep that seat Uh, in 2020. Democrats see a big target of opportunity in Arizona that year. Uh, and they're hoping uh, a Democrat could win there. Um, Ruben Gallego does say uh, he is uh, seriously considering a run. What are your thoughts on Ruben Gallego potentially running?
1: Uh, Overall, I like him as a candidate. He is not as progressive as he could be, but he, you know, is very good on the issues of general social issues as well as marijuana. I'm fairly certain that he supports at least a public option. He is not one of those corporate cucks who just likes wall street and raises taxes i think he's a good candidate because he represents the district that um brought kirsten cinema to victory in 2018 not a huge fan of her but uh i think he is a strong candidate for the nomination definitely
0: do you think he could win
1: definitely yeah again he represents the district that kirsten cinema uh that uh gave Kirsten Sinema the votes to push her to victory. And I also think he is less he's less fake than Kirsten Sinema. He is less um you know when you see her in the debate she's very condescending she, not condescending she's very, you know, cool and emotionless and I just don't think voters respond to that. Uh he's more progressive. Kirsten Sinema almost lost and if she had lost the vote would have been the election would have been spoiled because the Green Party candidate did so well. So I think it is good, both in terms of the district he represents and the policies he supports, that will push him to that uh, make him a good candidate for John the John McCain's Senate seat. Uh,
0: all right. Uh, anything uh, else you want to add?
1: Uh. Yeah. Uh, just that I don't like Kirsten Cinema. I think that her, I think that she will not have a, any different of a voting record than Martha McSally would have if she'd won the seat. I also think that Martha McSally will certainly face a challenge from a state senator, former state senator, Kelly Ward, and this time it might actually go through. So I think that's something to pay attention to.
0: All right. Uh... With that being said, why don't we move on? So, uh, the the government shutdown is continuing. Um, and it is now, obviously, it is the longest government shutdown in history. Uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi suggested that Trump uh, postpone his State of the Union address until after the government reopens. Uh, in response, Trump wrote this letter. Uh, he said... Hold on. He said, Dear Madam Speaker, Due to the shutdown, I am sorry to inform you that your trip to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan has been postponed. We will reschedule the seven-day excursion uh, when the shutdown uh, is over. In light of the 800,000 great American workers not, get it, not receiving pay, I am sure you would agree that during this period it would be better that you were in Washington negotiating with me and joining the strong border security movement to end the shutdown. Obviously, if you would like to make your journey by flying commercial, that would certainly be your prerogative. I, I look forward uh, to seeing you Uh, even more uh, forward to watching our open and dangerous southern border receive uh, the attention, funding, and security it so desperately uh, deserves. What are your thoughts on uh, the idea of postponing the State of the Union, and what are your thoughts on Trump's letter to Nancy Pelosi canceling her trip to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan?
1: I think both of these were power moves. Uh, These people, you know flicking their middle fingers at each other i think that i i did in fact laugh though when charlie kirk said the mainstream media the headline for the mainstream media on trump's letter to pelosi will read trump stops old lady from taking much needed vacation that made me laugh very much um no i think that uh you know it's reasonable that Trump supports a wall because his that's what he ran on. But you know, the people the people who support him who call us leftists out for opposing a wall think that it's because we like illegal immigration. It's because we just want people to come here illegally and we don't care. I think it's really glossed over that everybody in Congress everybody supports stronger border security. Even Bernie Sanders supports stronger border security. A wall is simply an ineffective method. Now I understand that in terms of partisan gridlock theoretically both parties could be blamed for the government shutdown, but I think that I also think that when when you are asking for something different than what it is you already had, meaning that Trump is asking For He is asking to keep the government going and something else. I think all he has the right to ask for from a now gridlocked government, given that the opposing party controls one House of Congress, is the budget that he had last year. I think that is all he has the right to ask for, and they have already given him increased border security. And I have no problem criticizing my country or my party and my country when it deserves it, but... I, the, the shutdown falls completely on Trump. He claimed responsibility for it, and now he's reneging on that.
0: All right. Um, now I think that's all the stories we had. But you said that there were some things you wanted to talk about in terms of economics. Um, and sure. So what what did you want to talk about?
1: I mean, you know, this is an interview. I prefer. I you know, do you uh, have
0: Questions, I guess? Um, uh, sure. So, um, you were, you were, oh, whoops. Sorry about that. Um, so, um, let me just get back to the, to what you said in your, uh, your, your DMs. Um, so, you said, um, you said you could, uh, debunk, you said, uh, that most right-wingers are completely wrong and you can debunk most of their views. Uh, which which views specifically uh, do you think uh, you, you, you wanted to specifically talk about?
1: Okay, um, uh, I think the most important ones were a higher minimum, you know, there's a lot to go through, but a higher minimum wage, Medicare for All, supply-side economics. I'll focus on those three for now. Uh, you know, I'm taking this directly from Ch- or some of these directly from Chank Yuger's debate with Ben Shapiro. Right-wingers are just wrong about Medicare for All. First, they whine about the cost. They, um, you know, as the interviewer, it'd be great if you could just, you know, jump in here so I have kind of a track of where I'm going. But, uh, I'll, I'll just... I'll, I'll start talking for a sec. I, you know, they they, they claim all these false things about healthcare in other countries. They, uh, and they, you know, the ones who whine about the cost forget that really it doesn't cost anything because you don't have to pay premiums. You don't have to, instead of paying Ten grand for private insurance, you're paying $5,000 – these numbers aren't entirely accurate – but $5,000 extra in taxes to buy insurance from the government. So I have been through it all and I see, simply see no substantive argument against Medicare for all other than the theoretical idea that one would rather have the freedom to die uninsured than the safety net of good health care through taxes.
0: Now you said we should get at the beginning of this uh, the episode. You said we should get rid of the notion that taxation uh, is theft. Um, uh, What uh, are your uh, why do you believe this? Um, And what uh, problems in specific do you think uh, arise from the statement taxation is theft? Well, there's the whole moral
1: stance sense where we live in a society and we need to help each other out. Uh, I think that one, one might say a rich person who is paying higher taxes doesn't benefit from things like Medicaid, from things like Social Security, food stamps, because they're rich. So why should they have to be paying for it? But I think they benefit for two reasons. One – They need a healthy society to keep their business going. And two, if they ever became a poor person, they would have that safety net. Now, these policies that tax rich people aren't fixated on the people themselves. This is not a tax on Bill Gates or on Jeff Bezos or on George Soros. These are taxes on the people who currently have that level of income. And the benefits, the benefits are not for... A uh, person, uh, person A over there, who is poor and hasn't worked a day in their life, the benefits are for people who are disabled, who have been impoverished, who work forty hours a week and are still in poverty, and those people are interchangeable. So a poor, you know, this isn't going to happen. But a poor person could potentially become rich, and they'd have to start paying their those taxes so that other poor people could have that same chance a rich person could become poor and they'd start receiving the benefits that they paid into. Now, you know, a rich person is not going to... If you're rich, you are probably not going to ever need to reap the benefits of Medicaid in your life. But that safety net exists there for you. Now, I have no respect for ideologies to the right of social democracy besides libertarianism. I disagree... That taxation is theft, but it is a consistent principle. The other other ideologies, such as you know, being a neoconservative, are inconsistent. You just can't be in favor of limited government because it's it's a vague term. If you are in favor of any government, then your ideology that government should be limited is uh, is criticizing itself. Ben Shapiro when he can't win a debate, will often argue that taxation is theft. Now, this doesn't happen often because Ben Shapiro is very smart at picking his opponents, but he will argue this, and he will only argue this when he has no more uh, more facts left to say. And if you are using the justification that taxation is theft, therefore we need a limited government, I think it is hypocritical to support any government at all. If you are subscribing to the notion that taxation is theft, then take it all the way. I don't believe taxation is theft because I think we pay for a society. This is the benefit we pay for living in a society. Here's, you know, If you don't want to pay taxes, then here's an idea. You and your other rich friends who don't want to pay taxes go off and buy an island, live there by yourself, You have to pay for your own roads, your own bridges, your own education, your own health care, your own water systems, your own infrastructure, and all the people around you, you have to support them. You don't get the benefit of customers or of associates or of inventions that came about from people who went to who receive the benefits of public education, who receive the benefits of driving on a road, who receive the benefits of food stamps if they are food insecure. You don't get that. And I don't think that anyone would take that offer. Therefore, they are conceding that they need all of those things, so taxation is not theft, because you're paying for all of those things.
0: Um, do you believe uh, collectivism uh is a positive or a negative uh, aspect of our society?
1: Doing things collectively or uh, collectivism specifically in economic terms?
0: Uh, I guess either.
1: I think, uh, you know, there's a Dr. King quote I can refer to. It's uh, capitalism uh, fails to realize that life is social. Uh, communism fails to realize that life is personal. Uh, creating a society is about reconciling the needs of the individual and the members of the society. I think that, you know, if you are educated and therefore produce more, it makes sense that you should be earning more than someone who works less than you or who is less educated than you. However, I think that everyone's children – I think that everyone should have the right to housing and health care and food. Now, uh, I think that everyone's children should have the right to all of these things and education. So everyone starts out on the same level. I live in a, in a fairly rich area. Uh, our property taxes go to a rich school. They pump out smart kids. But there are places in a place with low property values – A place with, uh, you know, poorer people would pay less in property taxes, less in taxes altogether. They would have um, worse infrastructure, worse education because of this, so they'd stay poor. And businesses wouldn't invest in that area necessarily because the local consumers uh, aren't spending enough money for it to be profitable. And I think that has to be recognized in terms of where the free market just doesn't work, I think, and I think that there are services that have to be provided by the government necessarily, such as security, the both military and cops, such as certain regulations, because you know we have to face that not everyone's educated, not everyone knows exactly what they're doing. You wouldn't know if you if we had no building codes. You wouldn't necessarily know if you moved into a building and it was entirely unsafe, and that could kill you. And the, you know this is broadly applicable across all, almost every industry. So I think collectively we need a public education system, a system of security, uh, and law enforcement, a system of, uh, uh, I guess, I guess welfare for the poor. If they need it, a system of health care, whether it is uh, in pairing with the private sector or entirely government-run, and a system of infrastructure. So roads, bridges, water systems, power grids, wastewater plants to connect us all. And for this, I think we need collectivism. Now, I think socially, you know, in terms of sexual orientation, what gender you identify with, what you – Choose to do with your life so long as there is no victim of it, such as drugs, victimless crimes. You should be able to do whatever you want. We have, uh, we make things illegal when we should make things illegal when they are harmful to others. But I definitely think that the needs of the individual are very important and that individuals should be valued on how much they contribute. To a certain extent. Everyone has a certain standard for their life. But if you are more productive to society, it makes sense that you make more money. Now, I don't believe that Jeff Bezos is more productive than any of his Amazon workers. I could be wrong about that. But that's how I feel about uh, collectivism.
0: Um, Now, um, how do you believe uh, you can get more progressives to win... Uh, in 2020
1: I think there needs to be less of a split in the party I think we need to be on point with Medicare for All raising the minimum wage uh, automatic voter registration, criminal justice reform, and legalizing marijuana. I think these five policies uh, really speak to many voters without alienating many of them. I think that we should not be running on guns. I think Too many people have guns as their one voting issue or one of their few. I think that we should not directly be running on taxes. I think that we should be talking about taxes while in office. But the simple idea of a tax can really uh, be harmful because we have emotions attached to tax. We don't like the idea of paying a tax. We like the idea of having good health care. Which is why if you talk about Medicare for all and then raise people's taxes, people won't complain because they have good health care. But I don't think direct, directly uh, talking about tax policy is the way to go. I think we need – I think mean, there's a lot of issues out there, and it. Um, but I think those are the five big ones. Marijuana legalization, a higher minimum wage, uh, Medicare for all. Uh, automatic voter registration and criminal justice reform this, these, um, these policies really speak to a lot of people but they don't harm there's no victims of them so when you talk about you know raising taxes on the middle class to benefit the four, poor you might have a middle class person not liking that idea because they know that they'd have to pay more taxes but when you talk about raising the wages of millions of workers that mil- those millions of workers will hear it, but no one's going to hear, you know, raising the. Uh, no one's going to hear workers being paid more. They don't deserve that. I don't think that's going to alienate voters as much. And also, you know, the Democratic Party isn't is obscenely stupid. I don't see how they think that centrists can appeal to people in. You know, in states that we need to flip, given that they never have before, Bill Clinton is the only centrist who who has ever really been a successful uh electable politician, and he had so much else going for him. I think that you know we could use centrists to go the southern route, but even so Stacey Abrams almost flipped Georgia Blue, and I think she will flip Georgia Blue running for Senate in twenty twenty and I think we can flip the entire mid West Blue, or you know, over 10 years, talking about these economic populist uh, policies. The idea behind running a centrist is that they'll be more moderate, so they'll be more palatable to a Republican. But they ignore the fact that one, we need candidates who excite voters, not candidates who voters agree with, because voters are ba- based on emotion, not on policy. And two, most Americans support the progressive ideals so the it is i think it is obscene to me that when you know 70 per, over 60% of Americans support you know all of our policies and 70% 7 in 10 support medicare for all that you wouldn't run on that it's it's preposterous and it was you know, the the funniest one of the funniest things I've ever seen a politician say was Joe Donnelly saying, The people of my state, when they hear Medicare for all, are immediately turned off because they hear socialism. But when they hear, We're going to improve your health care by working with the private industry to make premiums go down and coverage expand. They really like that. That is an idiot thing to say. He is a senator who lost in a race he could have easily won, and it's not a good soundbite. Voters like soundbites. So that is what I think will carry the Democratic Party to victory in 2020. I am definitely endorsing Bernie because he has the most integrity of uh, any politician currently in office or who has been in office for 30 years. And he is, you know, the most qualified. And I think he'll generate the most excitement, which will translate into victories in the Senate and House and state governments where we desperately need them.
0: All right. Uh, Anything else uh, you want to say before we sign off? Uh,
1: No, no thanks.
0: All right. Before you go, why don't you tell people where you can be found on social media if there's any other places aside from Instagram?
1: All right. Um No, that's about it at progressive.socialdem on Instagram.
0: All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Make sure nice to, to be here. And everybody listening, make sure to listen to the first episode of uh, President Review coming out this Friday. Thanks. Bye. The American
1: dream is not a sprint or even a marathon but a relay. Our families don't always cross the finish line in the span of one generation, but each generation passes on to the next, the fruits of their labor.
0: The former HUD secretary, the former mayor of San Antonio, and the twin brother of a congressman, who is Julian Castro, the Democratic 2020 contender who hopes to be the America's first Hispanic president. The candidates. Donald Trump has got to be defeated, and
1: I intend to do everything that I can with every other progressive in America making sure that that happens. Their
0: stories.
1: We got a real opportunity to build something.
0: And their fight for the White House.
1: Keep America great, exclamation point. Keep America great.
0: This is Presidential Profile 2020. At that inflection moment, Where were you? This is that moment. It's our job to remind the American people that we're looking out for them. So all of you showing the country how you do this. The special interests and the powerful have such an outsized influence and outcome to restore our democracy. Julian Castro was born in San Antonio, Texas on September 16th 1974, the son of Maria and Jesse. He is twin brothers with Joaquin Castro and is a minute older than his brother. The son of a political activist, Castro's mother Maria had launched an unsuccessful campaign for San Antonio City Council just three years before his birth in 1971. She founded the Raza Unida Party, which translates to the United People's Party. Castro has credited his mother for his and his brother's future involvement in politics and has claimed his mother brought him to political rallies as a child. Castro's father, Jesse, was also an activist as well as a math professor. Born out of wedlock, Castro's parents separated when he and his brother were eight years old. Growing up, Castro graduated from Thomas Jefferson High School and attended Sanford University in college. He graduated from Harvard in 2000. A year later, Castro was elected to the San Antonio City Council, the same office his mother sought out unsuccessfully. He defeated a crowded field of challengers with 61% of the vote. After being sworn in, he became the youngest person to hold that position at age 27. A year after this, his brother Joaquin was elected to the Texas State Legislature. Julian Castro held his seat in San Antonio, Texas uh, until 2005, when he opted to run for mayor of San Antonio. Castro was widely viewed as the front runner for the position, however, he was narrowly defeated by retired judge Phil Hardberger. Castro briefly left the political spotlight to pursue law. During this time, he married Erica Lira, to whom he has two children with. However, in 2009, Castro launched another run for mayor of San Antonio. Kristen Archer, the campaign manager for Hardburger in 2005, agreed to head Castro's campaign. Castro went on to win, receiving 56% of the vote. During his time as mayor, Castro made LGBT rights a central issue of his time as mayor as and pushed back against a law that prohibited same-sex marriage in the state of Texas. The law was later overturned by the Supreme Court in 2015. Castro won re election in a blowout victory in 2011 and 2013. In 2012, Joaquin was elected to Congress, representing the 20th District in the U.S. House of Representatives in Texas, a position he holds to this day. Julian Garrett garnered national attention after giving a speech at the Democratic National Convention. In 2012.
1: My twin brother, San Antonio Mayor Julian
0: Castro. After President Barack Obama won re election that year, he offered Castro the job of Secretary of Transportation. However, Castro declined, instead, eyeing a potential run for governor of Texas in 2014 after incumbent Republican Governor Rick Perry announced his retirement. However, Castro eventually opted against running and accepted an offer to serve as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development that year. He was confirmed to that position overwhelmingly in the United States Senate. He served in this position until 2017 when Obama left office as president. In 2016, Castro was viewed as a potential contender for the Presidency, however he declined after former Secretary of State, former New York Senator, and former U.S. First Lady Hillary Clinton entered the field. After she won the Democratic nomination, many speculated Castro could be in the running for Vice President, however Virginia Senator, former Governor, and former Mayor of Richmond Tim Kaine was selected instead. Castro left office as HUD Secretary on January 20, 2017, after Donald Trump won the presidency. Castro was replaced by retired neo and 2016 candidate for president, Ben Carson. After leaving office, Castro became an advocate for immigrants at the border and became an outspoken critic of President Trump. His advocacy fueled speculation that he would be seeking the presidency in 2020. On January 12, 2019, Castro officially announced his candidacy for the presidency. Now he hopes to take down Donald Trump and become America's first Latino president.
1: So, I know that the press work hard and that they are the friend of the truth in this country. Thank you very much for being here.
0: For more political profiles, listen to Politics Weekly every Tuesday.